A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. What is it like to live with mental disorders? Are we able to recover from it? What is the connection between sleep and our mental health? So today we have known Wells share with us his own story, his own journey of dealing with mental disorders while managing to have a very fulfilled, meaningful life. He hosts his own podcast, You, Me, Empathy, inspired by his own journey to encourage more people to be aware of mental health and to help ourselves live a better life. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. I'm your host, Ishan. So how can sleep impact our mental health exactly? Let's look at several research first. Some researchers from Israel find out among people who are depressed, they actually make more incorrect estimation about their sleep than people who are healthy and are not depressed. That means if we are depressed, we possibly think we sleep much worse than others who are not depressed. Actually, sleep problem not only impact us adults, it also impacts children, teenagers, babies. Many research find if we have sleep problem, or at least if we report we think we have sleep disturbance, we tend to have poor mental health outcome. For example, we may have increased depressed symptoms, more anxious, more aggressive, and children, teenagers may have more delinquent behaviors as a result of poor sleep. Keeping this in mind, let's hear Noon's story, what he wants to share with us about his own mental health journey. So welcome now to the show. Hello, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hi. So very happy to connect with you. I know you are doing a lot of great work in the field of mental health or promote mental health knowledge to the public. And um, I know you have a podcast on that topic called You, Me, and Empathy. Yeah. Mental health and talking about mental health is very important to me as someone who has clinical depression and you know, there's mental illness in my family with schizophrenia and, and things like that. And growing up in an environment that certainly did not talk about this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, You, Me, Empathy is my podcast. And I, I like to engage in these conversations because I think it connects us and allows us to feel a little less alone. And it certainly normalizes the conversation around mental health because uh, we all have it, right? We all have mental health, right? That's that's a unifier. So it's uh, it's something that means a lot to me. Yeah, I find that's amazing. That sounds like you had some of these challenges in your own life, but you are very, it sounds like very hopeful, very optimistic 
about this topic, and now you are sharing this knowledge with more people. What made you want to start、uh, a podcast on that topic at the first place? Yeah, that's a great question.、Um, I am hopeful. I, I do see.、Um, A slow shift in how we talk about this stuff culturally and the acceptance of it. I wanted to start the podcast because I wanted to give people a safe space to really be open about who they are. I think safety is in a crucial part of our mental health and our self actualization as humans. And I, I didn't really have a safe space growing up, and as a result of that, there was a lot of. Uh, shutting down emotionally, and that ultimately hurt me, and led to a lot of, you know, some traumatic events that、uh, were difficult to experience. And into my twenties, I finally started going to therapy, and and got medicated for my clinical depression, and and really started taking it seriously. And not like I didn't take it seriously before, but it, I just didn't have the tools or capacity. You know, I'd, I'd been shut down for so long. And so I wanted to create a safe space for people to come and and share their hearts and to to be met with empathy and to allow themselves to just kind of explore their stories vulnerably because I think if we don't,、um, then we get stuck or we hurt in ways that we're not capable of seeing. You know, I think in sharing, there's a lot of reflecting and compassion and empathy that and healing that happens, and I. I just want to create more and more of those spaces. Yeah, that's great. I really love it—the safe space、mm-hmm. to share. I know being vulnerable can be really, really hard for a lot、yeah. of people. Yeah, it, it is. It's a practice, just like empathy is. Just like most things are. It, vulnerability is a practice. It takes time. It takes skill. It takes. You know, being mindful of who your audience is. It's being mindful of your intention. You know, to share. I think we as humans can sometimes share for the wrong reasons. And in vulnerability, there's there's recognizing who is a safe person to share with. Right, that's an important piece of it. Right. And what is what is the ultimate intention? So when I share openly about my mental health, you know, I do so to. Be a mirror for each other to allow others in, to allow others to reflect, and to hopefully heal a little bit or, or see a little bit of themselves in my story to allow for healing and that connection. And but yeah, you're right; it does take practice, and it's not always comfortable. But、uh, a lot of the most sort of enriching experiences of our lives、um, come from out of place of discomfort, right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm ha- very happy to hear there is such a safe space outside of the, you know, professional、uh, world. It's not necessarily in a therapist room,、mm-hmm. but it's more available, more open to everyone. Sounds like if they they really need、uh, something, they or even they are considering by listening to the stories you talk with other guests and your own stories. I'm sure people are. Help some people to be more open. Yeah, it definitely helps, and I I hope my podcast and and this new project, Feely Human, that I I'm starting, like I hope it it helps influence others to see that, like, oh, I can create these safe spaces in my life too, and I can see, like, okay, I'm I'm experiencing this safety, and I'm 
feeling being seen and accepted. And that allows me to open up a little bit and to grow a little bit. And then, you know, maybe they take that into their communities. Like that's really the goal is like, for me personally, my passion is to help people see that and allow them to kind of lead with their hearts and be vulnerable and to engage in empathy and, and emotional curiosity. And it really just takes one person at a time, you know, changing one heart at a time. And I, I do see having done this for the last few years, I do see more and more people being open, right. And, and creating those safe spaces. And it's, it's very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yes. And I know you interview both like professionals in mental health field and also people who just have something to share. I'm wondering, you've been doing this for several years. What are something people share or come out of this conversation that really uh, impressed you or make you remember it significantly? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I I feel very lucky in the wide range of people from diverse backgrounds, from, you know, a therapist like yourself and all sorts of different people. And the main beauty there is that first we're all human. I think there's like a beautiful sort of unifier there. I think ultimately like no matter where you come from, no matter your background or your education, I think when we're open and vulnerable and and we're really truly seeing each other for who we are, it's such a magical connection. Like you and I can have completely different backgrounds and different experiences completely. And yet we can come together for an hour or whatever and just get so much fulfillment out of that enriching experience. And it's, I've learned, I've learned that like the practice of empathy is a practice just like vulnerability. And also there are so many touch points or so many access points to empathy too. Like I've had people on talking about the art of tarot and, and how people are healing their trauma through the practice of tarot, for example, which is so beautiful. Or like an artist finding ways into their own mental health through art and finding ways to connect and heal themselves and and grow their capacity for empathy through art, right? That's one huge thing that I've learned is that there are so many touch points and access points into empathy and healing that are just, that is a thing that gives me hope for sure. Yeah, I like yeah. how diverse it is. Sometimes we think about healing. Uh, we may think it's really difficult process. A lot of people tend to just suppress it and try to handle it themselves. And for me, because I'm in the professional field, I would tend to think, well, find someone professionally have the knowledge to help you out. But I think you really remind me that there are a lot of other formats out there. Uh, that can be really powerful and can be done from our daily life uh, through all these different tools. I watched some tarot reading videos Mm -hmm. and I read those comments below. I did definitely witness a lot of people find it's very powerful in their Mm. healing process. It also amazed me. And art, when I work in hospital, a lot of people like, uh, a lot of times we have art class to help people to uh, express their emotions through yeah. this way. And for children, especially when they cannot talk, their difficulties expressing, 
this is a great way to express themselves and get yeah. get heard by other people. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I what what hearing you say that it makes me think about um, just how you know we live in such we want to put such a binary lens on the world, right? As humans, but the reality is that there's so much gray, right? And and that gray for me gives me a, a great deal of hope because that means. There's so many ways that we can heal and connect with each other. And there's no right or wrong. There's really just a, an immense tapestry of healing and connecting with each other through so many different mediums and art forms and platforms, podcasts, you know, websites, like everything. It's you name it, like we can make it what we want it to, you know, if we're if we're pursuing healing and vulnerability, like the world is our oyster in that way, right? We can really kind of see it all for what it is and not just kind of put this right or wrong or whatever. And I, and you know, you as being in the space of psychology and practicing that serves an integral part of this as well, right? It's part of that tapestry. Yes, definitely. So I feel like what you shared also is very important to remind me and to remind whoever is listening that healing process is very individual process. Yes. And it can come from inside. It does mm -hmm. not always have to rely on someone, something outside. It can be a teamwork. It can pull the resources around us and based on our own unique needs and the healing just can happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great point. It's so unique and individual. And, and I think with that, like, I think that's an important lens to, to think through our human experiences in general, remembering that we each come with a unique experience. And I think that's a good lens to access empathy, right? Is to remember that like, oh, just because I experienced in this way doesn't mean that they did, right? And I think like that's how I try to operate my life in general. And it, it, that, that's true. That lens has helped in my mental health completely. Yeah. Is to remember that uniqueness. Yeah. Right. And I know empathy is such a key um, component in your work and your it's even in the title of your podcast. So I'm wondering through all this work, through all this journey, how do you understand empathy? It's uh, well, as I said, it's a practice. It's a skill. It's I, I one thing that I've discovered about it is it, it is a thing that we can take for granted. Like we think about empathy in the sense of like, oh, we're putting ourselves in another person's shoes. But what does that mean, really? What does that really mean? You know, and what I feel about it is, first and foremost, it doesn't mean that. Like, let's say you have had an experience, uh, Ishan, and it's an experience that is reflective of like a trauma of some kind, right? Um, and maybe I myself haven't experienced that same exact type of trauma. I can still, as a human being who's experienced different types of trauma or even just like hard stuff, right? I can go there emotionally and still meet you where you are and still like create that path of empathy to you and and we can have that connection. And I think that's one sort of like misconception about empathy is that 
we have to like we we have to have had that same experience. The other things that I've learned is just it's hard at times, you know, thinking about like we're recording this in the time of a pandemic, right? A global exercise in empathy, right? Thinking about and being willing to think about different perspectives, right? Ways that people are responding to this crisis, right? That I look at it and maybe like think, okay, I don't know if I would do it that way, but I need to step back and say like, okay, where are they coming from? They, they could be operating out of fear or anxiety and I need to have empathy for that, right? And that, that's the lens that I think really allows us to connect on a human level because there is defensiveness, there's judgment, there's, there's all these things that are such human traits. But if we can kind of take a step back and operate in a more empathetic way, and I'm not saying I'm like perfect about it, it's, it's super difficult, but it's just one thing that I think has enriched my life in thinking about the world in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally can connect with it. Uh, what you said reminded me that uh, I, I had a lot of patients ask me similar questions before. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I worked in different settings, they would ask me, well, you have you ever had my problem, like exact problem, right? Sure. If not, how can you help me out? Like, right. how can you understand me? I worked in inpatient hospitals before with people who have hallucinations, you know, and sometimes I got these questions from them also. And it was like, I can see they're, they're not sure they cannot trust others like yeah. easily. So definitely, I think empathy is very challenging and there are a lot of misperceptions around it. And the judgment you mentioned, I think that's definitely one of a very big barriers for a lot of human connections to happen, actually. Naturally, we tend to have different judgment. And sometimes we say it out loud without even realizing it's actually critical. And I know a lot of parents treating their children in a very critical way, more critical uh, statement every day than any possible praise. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, it's, I think a piece of empathy that's important for me is letting go of ego and really leading with heart, right? The ego just gets in the way all the time. And the ego is, is the judgment, is the defensiveness, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and I, I think that for me is an important part of it is just letting go of that ego, recognizing that we are all human, humans worthy of love and acceptance, right? And it's about also challenging our own biases, conscious or otherwise, right? Like we all come into this world and develop these biases, whether we know it or not, or whether we're willing to accept or look at them or not. And I think a big piece of empathy is looking at them and challenging them and being willing to learn from a different perspective and a different mindset. Like that is a huge part of empathy that I I like to focus on. Yeah, when you talk about ego, remind me of control. Mm, Like, I think we all have this tendency to control some part in our life, 
our own life and people around us. I know a lot of times this feeling of anxious, of depressed, of powerless is because we too much focus on what we can control, how we can make and everything ideal mm. under our control. And we expect other people do certain things in a certain way. Right. That's caused a lot of frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it causes heartache and pain. And yeah, no, control is a huge one. For me, the control piece is recognizing that I don't have much control over things in this world, right? And understanding that there are, there are some things, you know, that I do have control over, but a lot of them I don't. And I think that's a practice of mindfulness. That's a practice of, of just self-acceptance and, and knowing myself, you know, and um, that's hard work, but control is, is difficult. Like I, I went through a period of my life where I felt, you know, growing up, I felt very out of control. I felt like I was very much the black sheep of the family felt, you know, I was the quiet, sensitive kid in a very violent, loud home. And into my late teens through mid twenties, I developed anorexia, an eating disorder. And it was all about control because I felt zero amounts of control in my own life. And then I decided, oh, I'll control food, right? You know, so control can be, and the, the, the push for control can be a very dangerous one. Right. Yeah. We thought we are the one taking control over something, but then we are the one controlled by emotions and worries and something around us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. I really like uh, one thing you wrote on your website that you encourage others to say like you are enough and mm. not alone. Yeah. And I feel like that's such a great way to remind us we we can all try to accept ourselves and think we are enough, we are good, we are capable. Yeah. And that's I know that's a struggle for a lot of people. I'd imagine it's a struggle for you and me. I mean, it's certainly a struggle for me. Uh, I have this deep belief that I don't deserve love or I, and that I need to be in pain, which I, I say that out loud and it's just silly, but like it's connected to these deep traumas, right? And we all struggle, I think, with self-esteem and accepting ourselves. But I talk about that stuff because that's where it needs to start. Like this healing journey, this empathy that we're talking about, it needs to start within. It needs, we need to go inward before we go outward, right? We need to accept ourselves. We need to do the work of knowing ourselves, right? That's the journey of life in my belief is the knowing journey, knowing ourselves. So if we're heading into relationships or situations that where we don't know ourselves and we're not accepting of ourselves and we're not loving of ourselves, how do we expect us to do that for others, right? Then we don't know what we need. We don't know what our interests are, what we like and all that stuff. So that self-acceptance and self-knowing and self-love piece has to come before the outward stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Like for me and many of my colleagues, we all somewhat have this in, in, imposter syndrome, right? Mm. Like we, we think we are not good enough. We don't know enough. We need to learn more so we can be better at for our patients, for our own work. I think we all, you're right, we all fight with knowing ourselves, knowing what we already know, what we are capable of, what we 
uh, need work, we can work more, and how to accept who we are already and use that as a foundation to continue. And so I'm curious what you have find helpful uh, in that journey of knowing self and accepting self. Well, first, I'd like to say, Ishan, that you are enough and you are worthy and you are loved. Um, I love that. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's hard work, right? You know, I... Therapy has been a crucial tool for me, you know, uh, one-on-one uh, CBT therapy specifically. Uh, right now, I'm doing EMDR therapy for the first time. And that is really to help me unpack and to connect some of these limiting beliefs to some of these childhood traumatic uh, experiences that I'm holding on to, that I continue to be sort of haunted by in a way. So. Um, a lot of it is going through the stuff, like mining those traumas, mining the darkness in order to go through it, right? As opposed to putting it aside or putting it in a box and throwing away the key, right? It's a lot of going through that darkness so I can get into the light again, you know? But there's no right path for that. There's no timeline for that. It's just, it takes what it takes. You know, I think that's an important thing to remember is like we see people and we have this perception that they're doing so great. Right. And they're, you know, they have all the accolades and they're doing this, but like, we really don't know how, what they're going through. And, and so that's like the ego again. So turning back inward, we need to like, go through the stuff in order to move through it. So like for me, that's a big piece of it is to be patient with it, to be loving in that process because it's bringing up all this, you know, turmoil and, and discomfort and, and, and to remind myself that the discomfort is where I'm going to, I'm going to learn the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great to be patient, to keep on working on it, to use the great resources out there. The therapy method you talk about, yes, they, they, there are a lot of great evidence on that and they handle different things. I have some colleagues are using EMDR as a method in their clinical work also. Great. Um, yeah. 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 And I think, uh, educating yourself like reading right is a huge piece of it like i remember reading the body keeps the score have you read Mm. that yeah that's a very famous book (laughs) oh it's amazing and i (laughs) learned like so much uh Mm -hmm. in reading that book but you know educating yourself and then you know creating communities like you're creating right getting people together to talk about this stuff like that is a huge part of our healing process Yes, definitely. And then um, because we are talking about mental health, recently I've been talking with other colleagues about, uh, you know, my specialty is sleep. And there are a lot of literatures now about mental health and sleep quality and sleep efficiency, how they interact with each other. Basically, if people are not getting enough sleep, mm-hmm. it's actually uh, it's sleep sleep symptom is not only a symptom of other mental disorders, but also recently research find like lack of sleep can be an independent predictor for suicidality. 
mm, and for mm. a lot of other things. Yeah. So it's very interesting because you've been talking to so many guests uh, about this topic, and yourself had a lot of experience to um, get through all this and recover. So I'm curious: Have you noticed any uh, role actually sleep is playing in this journey of healing? And uh, when we, you know, are anxious or depressed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um... A sort of side anecdote to that, like I mentioned, I'm doing EMDR, and a a piece of the EMDR process. And correct me if I'm wrong about this, but you know, I'm holding like two buzzers, one in my left hand, one in my right hand, and the idea there is to approximate the the REM cycle of sleep that goes back and forth between left brain and right brain, and that's how sort of we sort of recuperate right in in the sleep process the same is true in emdr it's trying to approximate that really truly healing uh process that our brain does while we sleep and so when i think about sleep you know it's maybe a couple of years ago i started thinking about more wholly the body like my body from like this holistic perspective right and i think we humans can sometimes forget that our physical health and our mental health are connected, right? They're like deeply intertwined. But sometimes we think, oh, mental health is over here and it's not even impacting our physical health, right? But they're so interconnected that sleep is an important part of that, right? I know that for me, when I'm not sleeping well, uh, when I'm waking up in the middle of the night, when my wife who has night terrors like wakes me up, you know, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, it affects my mood in a, in a major way. You know, I have also a clinical anxiety. And so it definitely makes my anxiety work. It definitely can trigger depressive symptoms for sure. But if I'm rested and I'm feeling just, I wake up and I, you know, feel kind of like, oh, I'm, I feel good. Like then I know it's going to be a good day, but you know, if I'm not sleeping, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's scary. It can be upsetting, you know? Um, we hear about it all the time, the importance of eight hours of sleep, you know, all these things. And I think, you know, that's a good guideline. And it's what I try to go for. But I think it's another one of those things where, I mean, I'll just speak for me, I've taken it for granted at times, which is so funny, because you're right, like, there's so much research, on one hand, just indicating the importance of sleep for the human, right, for health, for all that thing. And then the connected mental health piece of it, you know, and all that research. Uh, it's it's huge, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, what you discussed, a lot of people uh, have experienced similarly, and research also provide a lot of different evidence to it. I think uh, I see sleep as an individual thing also. Like we mm-hmm. all have different needs. We all need different hours. But overall, it's closely related to how we feel. Yes. Yeah, I know because I treat insomnia more. I know people who have insomnia, even though it not necessarily mean they are losing a lot of sleep, because it's sometimes it's just a very subjective. They perceive like they are not getting enough sleep. They possibly are sleeping relatively okay. Yeah. But people with insomnia very likely to be more irritable during yeah, the day <laughs> for sure yeah on top of being anxious about their sleep so you can see and i hear from people all the time their mood just gets up and down so quickly 
Yeah. And it could be such like a snowball effect, right? Well, this happens to me. Let's say I don't sleep well one night and then I'm like, oh gosh, I better sleep well tonight. Then it's just going to, and then like there's the anxiety of sleeping well the next night, you know? Right. And that is similar to what we talked about earlier, the control, right? Mm, we want yeah. control sleep. We want to be healthier. We want to take good care of ourselves. But then we want to perform well on sleep. And that yeah. just causes another layer of problem. Yeah. What, how, how is your sleep? Yeah. So actually, um, I always sleep very well. That's why when people ask me why you want to be, become a sleep specialist, I was like, not because I suffer from insomnia or anything, but I do have family history of mm. different sleep disorders. After I learn more about sleep, I start noticing, oh, actually, I have family members who have insomnia. I have family members who have sleep apnea. Mm, and then yeah. I start realizing, wow, it's, it's so important. It's actually related to your mental health and your physical health. Yeah. It's related to stroke, heart disease, and all the other things. And a lot of like how, how happy you are, how anxious you are in general. So yeah. yeah, even though I don't have that experience a lot, but I can again, have the empathy to people and even myself occasionally, I may not be able to sleep. Yeah. Like if I drink caffeine at night, I sure. possibly have a really poor night of sleep. That yeah. happens occasionally. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. All humans sleep, right? We all have to sleep. So it's definitely a, a thing that we need to look at. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And they're definitely talk about resource and hope. I think there are a lot of literature now talking about just by sleeping better and mm -hmm. improve sleep quality, how we perceive sleep. It's already be very helpful to reduce some symptoms of different mental disorders mm. uh, or attention deficiency. Uh, oh, so, wow. yeah. And that's why a lot of literature say if we are treating, for example, PTSD and uh, uh, nightmare disorders at the same time, possibly we can treat like sleep first. And if the sleep gets better, the treatment for PTSD will be easier. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, similar to depression, anxiety, those kind of things. Yeah. So I start paying more and more attention to this and very happy to hear what you share about what you noticed in your own journey. Yeah. Yeah. So near the end of the show, I always want to ask my guests, what are some, you know, uh, wisdom they have for the audience? What are something, you know, if a lot of people listening right now are wondering about mental health and especially I possibly have some Asian uh, listeners. And I know the stigma for mental health is a big thing mm -hmm. um, among Asian populations. So anything you want to share with the audience at the end? Yeah, you know, I just, I guess I want to reiterate to them that it's okay to talk about this stuff. You may feel in your direct circles or in your family, you may feel that it's not okay or you may feel not safe. And I empathize with that. But I will say that you need to find those safe spaces. And there are 
safe spaces a plenty out there for you to explore these things because if you don't it's just going to eat you up and i don't say that to like scare you i say that as a beacon of hope and there's a lot of hope out there when it comes to these spaces to explore our mental health you know take it from me i nearly died my heart nearly stopped at the age of 24 from an eating disorder. I had clinical depression that I was unmedicated for. I've, uh, you know, have contemplated suicide many times and have almost gone there, right? If I didn't find those pockets of safety and those people that, you know, shed all the artifice that exists in the world and just saw me for who I am, I wouldn't be here. And so I just want to encourage everyone that there are people that will see you and accept you. And if they're not people in your family, that sucks. And I know that feeling very well. But there are people like Ishan, like me, like other amazing podcasters and communities out there that will see you and accept you and allow you the space to be who you are and to explore your heart and to be curious about your feelings. And that's you know, in my mind, that's just, that's the richness of life. That's, that's, that's where it's at. That's, that's the, that's the goal. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. yeah. Kind of make me think the word years ago, keep calm and carry on, keep <laughs> sure. hope and carry on. Right. Sure, sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, very great to have you today known to share all this wonderful uh, journey, your own journey, your your knowledge, your thoughts with us all. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you and the space you're creating. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I appreciate to have you out there in the community doing all this great work. I will put a lot of your uh, links, your groups, so people can find you. I will put them on the show note. Uh, if people want to listen to your podcast or if you have you know, any website or anything, how people can find you. Yeah, uh, the best place is just to go to feelyhuman.co, uh, F-E-E-L-Y human.co. Um, that's where you can find the podcast and learn more about the Feely Human Collective. And uh, you can write for the journal and take my free workshop, Feely Human 101. And you know, there's a shop and all sorts of other ways to collaborate. So feelyhuman.co is a place to go. Okay, great. Yeah. So people know where to find you. Thank you very much for coming to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. At the end of the show, I just want to emphasize, if you are struggling mentally, don't give up on hope. Please seek out professional help. Seek out support from people around you. And on top of that, manage to improve your sleep, your sleep habit, your sleep quality, that can all be really helpful to help you battle the mental health conditions. I really like what Noel mentioned on his website. You are enough and not alone. Hopefully today's conversation with him and his story inspire you. If you want to listen more about his own podcast, you can find his podcast, You, Me, and Empathy. You can also find more of his work on his website, at phillyhuman.co. Thank you very much for listening to our this episode of Deep Into Sleep. If you want to find more of our information and the papers I quote for today's episode, 
you can go to our website, deepintosleep.co. I will also put Noon's contact information and all his website links on the show note. I'm so grateful to have you all listen to my podcast and support me. I always welcome your feedback, your thoughts, and any questions. Thank you very much for another great week. I'm Ishan, and I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.